BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, I'm Sif Heider, the founder of Array. I'm a wellness entrepreneur and digital creator, and this is my show, The Dream Bigger Podcast. Listen, I love dreaming big, but you know what I love more? Actually having the resources to make those big dreams happen. And hey, dreams can sometimes be private jets, but other times they can look a little something like having the best skin of your damn life or starting a successful business or delving into spirituality. So on this podcast, I chat with experts and thought leaders from different fields about their tips and tricks on doing exactly that. So let's get right into it. Hey guys, and welcome back to another episode of the Dream Bigger Podcast. So this week's guest is Carrie Barber, who has become a dear friend since we recorded this episode. So funny story about Carrie. First, she is an incredibly talented creative director. She is the founder of Make Beauty, and I have been using their lipsticks on repeat, and I cannot say enough good things. High quality clean formulation, pigmented, like literally everything you'd want. So just had to throw it out there because I've been using it for weeks and it is really a solid product. So with Carrie, it's funny. I kept hearing about her from different people. It was kind of weird. Like first it was my hairdresser who like mentioned her. Then I met her business partner at a party. Then I bumped into another friend who mentioned her and I was like, Like, I need to meet this Carrie Barber. Anyway, I did, obviously, during this podcast interview, loved her and have been friends ever since. So here's what you can expect from this episode. Carrie's entire career has been really, really interesting. So she came into prominence as a creative director. She has worked at, like, some of the biggest, coolest brands and really has tangible experience behind her. You know, she's worked at Sephora. She's worked at into the gloss. And so, you know, she was really in the early days of these like emerging brands that we know now as mainstays in beauty. And she she kind of helped build that. So she has an incredible background. And um, I think we'll just learn a lot from her. And obviously from there, she went on to transition as a founder. And honestly, guys, like I think anyone who is interested in creative direction or wants to see how a good brand does their creatives, go look at Make. I think she does a phenomenal job and I just have a lot of respect for her. So before we dive into this episode, let's do this week's review, which comes to us from Bailey E. And she says, I'm hoping it's a she, I think, (laughs) blown away. Dr. Mindy Pulse was absolutely mind blowing. I immediately talked to my clients about this podcast after listening. So eye opening. Thank you so much for leaving this review, Bailey. And guys, if you have a couple of minutes and want to support the show, please consider leaving a rating and review. All you have to do is open up the Apple Podcast app, scroll down to where it says rate and review the show in the rating section. If you feel like I've earned it, please leave me a five-star rating. And in the review section, honestly, any feedback you give me is so valuable to me and helps me show up as a better host. You know, things like favorite guests from the past, guests you want to see, topics you really enjoy. Any information you give me is something I value. With that, let's welcome Carrie Barber to the Dream Bigger podcast. We're just going to, by the way, dive right in. I love it. And I guess the first thing that I want to do is ask you about your career trajectory, because Mm -hmm. prior to Make, you've had an insane career. You were at Into the Gloss, you were at Sephora, Violet Gray, like Mm -hmm. 
what <laughs> can you explain your career trajectory because I think there's a lot of creatives probably listening in mm. and they probably look to you as like someone who's kind of done it so yeah. take us through so tell me all things Carrie so beauty was not the plan I in high school was an athlete and I wanted to be a beach volleyball player so you know I wasn't I didn't wear makeup I was a tomboy it was not like the plan and I didn't my mom doesn't wear a lot of makeup so I just never you know was I wasn't not interested but I was also just you know playing sports all the time I still wore makeup which was a choice but I then I April of my senior year of high school I was like, mm, actually, I don't want to play volleyball anymore. And my parents were like, oh, okay, what do you want to do? And I thought, like, fashion. Mm -hmm. You know, like, in my mind, I didn't know what an art director was. I didn't know what a creative director was. At that time, beauty didn't seem like a, a job to me. Like, I don't think a lot of people think when you're growing up, like, oh, I can work in beauty. And it's also quite limited what you know to be like a viable career option when you're younger. Like yeah. I remember, by the way, going through the same thing where I was drawn to really beautiful things. And so when right. I was younger, I'd be like fashion designer, except I didn't know how to draw. Yeah. And I, yeah. Still and don't. so I just didn't realize that like there was like a path to kind of doing something creative, but not mm -hmm. in the traditional way that you think when you're like really, really young. Right. I I was always creative because I was so dyslexic that I needed an outlet, you know, which was sports or being creative because I just, I am creative and I have that energy. So, you know, I had some options, but I didn't know like what exactly it was. And I would go through magazines and I'm like, I want to create this image. Like I want to be the one who comes up with this idea and like makes all of that happen. So. I went to fashion school, I went to FITM in San Francisco, and that was a pretty quick no. And then at the time, I guess that would have been like 2012, no, earlier than that, <laughs> like how old am I? It was like, you know, the late 2010, mm -hmm. or 2010-ish, let's mm -hmm. just say. And video and like sort of fashion film was coming up, but there was also this kind of art leaning edge to it. So I was like, oh, I'm going to be a performance artist. I'm going to make films. I moved down to LA for a year. I went to Otis, did fine art. And I was like, nope, that's not it either. And my dad was like, I don't care what you do, but you're graduating from college. And so I wanted to move back to San Francisco. My friends still live there. And I, there was like a program at the Academy of Art called Art Direction for Advertising. And I'm like, that seems great. Right. Like that's actually, a, you know, that it's that. But it's like I'm not interested in like the writing or the, you know, it's ironic. I'm not interested in the marketing or the strategy now, you know, at that time. So I was like, I want to take film and graphic design and sort of got really lucky because they were flying these teachers up from Art Center and they were like the best <laughs> teachers I've ever had. And they just encouraged me to like do exactly what it is that I wanted to do. And at the same time, like, video, media, fashion, film, social media was all just starting. And so in my mind, I'm like, I'm going to move to London. I'm going to work for a show studio and I'm going to make fashion films. That's mm -hmm. what I want to do. And my boyfriend at the time was like at Sephora as an art director. And he was like, they're looking for a production designer. I had just graduated college. And I'm like, yeah, Sephora is the coolest thing in San Francisco. I will do that. And then I will like save money and move. And then that was it. Like once, once I was in, like there was nothing else, because they fashion and beauty go so close together. And I, I like fashion, but it's not like I don't want to be a fashion designer. I wasn't actually interested. Like I didn't know at the time, but I didn't want to be in fashion. Mm -hmm. So, you know, my first job out of college was at Sephora, and it was at the same time when. Into the Gloss had started and Violet Gray had launched. And I would get to work early and I would read Into the Gloss. At the time, it was like maybe two or three articles a week. I think Emily wrote them herself. Wow. Like it, it was the it's like really early days. Yeah. Yeah. Really early days. And then I would look at Violet Gray and I'm like, this editorial that you can shop with these, the access to these uh, celebrities and these makeup artists, like this is. In, I was so inspired because it was beautiful. It was it was art. 
and then you could buy the lipstick. And I'm like, you know, and uh, Into the Gloss was the same concept, like content and commerce. And with Sephora at the time, I was like, oh, we got to do this. We have to integrate Into the Gloss somehow into stores and this and that. You know, and they were like, okay, you know, yeah, sure. And then I just, I was like, I have to work for Emily. Like, I don't know what, I don't know how. Like, I was so sure that I was going to work for her. You know, but at the time, there was no Glossier. So it was like, I'm not a writer, but I'll just figure it out. And I basically moved to New York so that I could, like, just get closer to somehow making that happen. So then what was the path? Because that's like, I mean, you, you moved to New York with, like, actually not at Into the Gloss, but like with the intention to work there. Yeah. Stop it right now. <laughs> yeah. That's insane. So I mean, what happened? I mean, I, you eventually got there. So yeah. snaps. But. <laughs> I mean, it was it was crazy because I, you know, moved to New York and I worked as a digital art director. At the, there was a lot of things that just started to happen and the timing of digital and social media just allowed me to very easily like when I look back on it very easily get in and do the things I wanted to do because at the time digital was not something that was prioritized. It was starting to be like for big retailers or for brands and this concept of like an e- like D2C e-com business was so new. So I just got really lucky because I was one of the only digital art directors in beauty. Like not one of the only, but like, you know, it was usually print or in-store, things like that. And at the time, there wasn't a lot of crossover. So explain to our audience what it means to be a digital art director. So an art director like puts together the concept of an image or a layout or uh, the way that some creative looks. And a digital art director basically does that for the internet. Mm -hmm. So at the time, when I moved to New York, I went to Bloomingdale's and I worked on their like uh, digital team and I would create, you know, beauty lookbooks, for example. So I would come up with like what the art direction was for the the layout, what the looks were, and then I would put together all of the basically the lookbook. And then like that's kind of my job. Like an art director's job is to put together how everything looks, what the concept is, what the story is, and then, you know, the team like there's the writers and then your designers help you finesse it and things like that. You know, that includes like going to photo shoots or getting, it's like how it's shot, how it's laid out, what it looks like. So you were like the perfect person to actually go and work at and into the gloss because essentially like that's, that was like the, the basis of their business. Yeah. I mean, what's so crazy to me, it's so interesting how it all unfolded is that like there was no Glossier at the time. I think that was probably part of the plan in the beginning. But, you know, I was at Bloomingdale's. Then I went to a smaller agency that did a lot of like content commerce for D2C brands. And Glossier opened their office across the street from us. So (laughs) I remember when Glossier launched and I like was, you know, sitting out by my desk and I could see Emily and like team members like with Glossier bags getting into cabs because they hand-delivered product on that day and just being like, whoa, I didn't even know. They're right there. Yeah, that's I can insane. see the office. And I had randomly met their creative director, Helen, like for a coffee, like one time. And I remember like May of 2015, she emails me and she's like, I work for this brand called Glossier. I don't know if you've heard of it, but we're looking for a digital art director. Are you interested? And I think my response was like, there is nobody more interested than me in <laughs> like, I'm available, let me know. Like the whole reason I was in New York was to do that. And like without, you know, the brand of Glossier or meeting Helen, like it's just the way that the things came together. That is insane. I have goosebumps. <laughs> That's very, like very serendipitous. Yeah, it was, I mean, it, it was what I wanted. And I was so young and like, a little naive in the fact that like anything is possible and I will figure out how to do it. And I still feel that way, but like in such an ambitious, like I have to get to that place. Mm -hmm. That's my goal. Yeah. And then it just like basically fell into place. And, you know, again, digital art directors at the time were not, it wasn't a, you know, there weren't a lot of people doing that Mm -hmm. because 
you know, at a place like Sephora, the art directors are all about in-store merchandising, doing the catalogs, things like that. And they didn't want to do digital. And I was like, well, I'll do it. Like, we're doing the same job. Mine goes online. Yours is in print, you know. So then you were at Into the Gloss. And then tell me your journey as to, like, how you went from being this, like, really, really renowned creative art art director, creative director. And then you ended up relaunching Make. So what was the path to even getting there? So after Glossier, I wanted to go back to Sephora at a more senior level. Yeah. And at the time, they were really focusing on, they had relaunched Sephora Collection, which they were trying to bring into that like younger demographic. So it was pretty easy for me to just be like, yeah, I'll, you know, they were like, we'll give you whatever you want. Just come back. I'm like, okay, (laughs) easy. I think I moved out of New York in two weeks. Like, holy crap. I was out. (laughs) I'm like, yeah, I, I did. I did what I wanted to do. Were you kind of done with New York? Like you wanted to go back to San Francisco? Like what drew you back into Sephora? I think I wasn't done with New York necessarily, but I did not have an easy time living there. Mm-hmm. And maybe two years before this, my dad had passed away. I'm and sorry. I was like, thank you. I was like, I just, it's so hard for me to live. I had like a lot of anxiety at the time. Grieving is very physically draining on your body. And I was just very overwhelmed. And I felt like, why is it so hard to do my laundry or get groceries, you know, commute, do those things? I just didn't have the energy anymore. And I I still had so many friends in San Francisco. And I was just kind of thinking, like, where do I want to live? Like, I love New York. And in my heart, like, I was a New Yorker forever. It was that or nothing. And then I, I guess I grew up a little and I was like, I just, I don't have the energy for it. Well, I mean, I think that New York and the idea of New York is really glamorized. And don't get me wrong. Like, I think New York has this, like, incredible energy and pulse that is just so unique to it. But it's really fucking hard to live there. It's hard. You know, I mean, I I have a lot of my friends live in New York. I almost moved there and Mm. instead moved to L.A. But it's like a constant conversation where it's like just the simplest things are really tough, you know? And I'm glad that you touched on it because I don't think it's really talked about where even though you had this like successful job from the outside in, it's still so hard to like live a life like that. Yeah, I mean, the weather alone, you like get to the point at the end of winter where you're like, I can't do this anymore. And then summer happens and the energy changes over so fast and you're like, there's nowhere else, you know? And then... I also like had no money. I had no money. I lived an hour train ride in the beginning from my like my place in Brooklyn to Bloomingdale's and it was just like it was such a struggle. And I again, uh, you know, after my dad passed away, I just didn't have it in me to do that. And for so long I thought I was going to go back cuz mm-hmm. I felt like, oh, if I can't tough it out, like I'm a failure. But I'm like it's going to always be there no matter what. And I would love to go back and like have money and maybe it'd be a little easier. But it's like once you get into that energy too, it's really hard to find that other places and to let that go because it's so special. Yeah, and it really is. Like like you said, there's a pulse there. And there's also a camaraderie, I think, of, of people who live in New York. They're all like, we're doing it here together. <laughs> Doesn't matter where you live or how much money, like you have to go outside mm-hmm. when it's, you know, Arctic winter or whatever, you know, like those things, no matter who or where you are in New York, you, you have to walk outside. So I went back to Sephora. I, you know, it was hard to go there after Glossier because I was on a huge creative team, like 50 people that were in small groups, but it just having the access that Sephora gives you or the budgets that Sephora has, like it was great. And I had a really good time, but then I just got really burnt out. And I had a situation with my manager where she she bullied me and basically I, I was miserable. Oh. And I just was kind of over it already. And I did the things that I, you know, HR and the whole thing. And it just, I was like, this isn't worth it. Like I, I don't ultimately want this kind of job or environment I just it's I mean it's insane because we spend so much time at work yeah and 
I think people really diminish how important it is to be happy considering that you are spending the bulk of your life working yeah you know and it's not just like it's very sad I think if you just like keep letting things like that go and all you're looking forward to every week is the weekend which is only two days yeah (laughs) and or like 7 p.m or 6 p.m when you're out of the office like that like it's it's just so hard and I've been there too where I've been in like tougher work environments and it's really it takes the soul out of you oh it I was it's a crushing. shell of a person. Mm-hmm. I got really sick. I had the most insane acne I've ever had from stress. I had a like an ovarian cyst <gasps> and it it burst and like it it was awful and I was so ill and and miserable on top of like unaddressed grief and anxiety and depression and all those things that come with that. I was just I was almost like, I'm not going to work again. Like, mm-hmm. I'm done with beauty. I did the things I want to do. I, I'm good. Like, I just, I'm not enjoying this anymore. Yeah. Which is sad, like you said, because you spend so much time doing work. And I've always been obsessed with work. It's like the thing that makes me so happy and like, you know, gives me a lot of self-confidence and self-worth. And I was like, I hate everything about this. <laughs> and it just, it wasn't the right environment. And, you know, I... I was happy to go back and like be able to to do what I wanted to do. And then at the time I was dating someone who lived in LA. So I was like, I'm just gonna move to LA. And I freelanced for a while. And then the last place that I had kind of on my list that I wanted to work at was Violet Gray. And Emily introduced me to Cassandra. And, uh, you know, we met and a few months later I started freelancing there and it was it was great. And I did that for, maybe like a year and a half before make just freelancing I didn't want full-time anymore because I just didn't want to get in I needed like more control over absolutely my schedule and what I was doing and um I think it was 2019 like summer of 2019 and Ben my business partner dm'd me on Instagram and I didn't know who Ben was you know I, I was like oh okay yeah he was like I would love to work with you on some projects. I've been following your career. Like, I think your work is great, this and that. And then kind of the rest is history. We had like, I didn't know it at the time, but we were dating because Ben was kind of vetting me, or at least that's kind of what it turned into. Mm -hmm. And then it was like January of 2020 and we were having lunch and he's like, you know, make is available for purchase and I would like to, to, partner on it with you and and buy the brand and kind of like revive it because we both felt like it didn't have there was still like a there there and we didn't it didn't have its you know like full shot at life so then two weeks later COVID happened (laughs) oh my gosh listen we launched our business during COVID as well and I feel like a lot of people that I have on the podcast it's like the same story yeah but and like honestly it's interesting because I think COVID shifted a lot of things because Mm -hmm. we always thought like every founder, right? Like you talk to someone who like launched or like looked at launches Mm pre-COVID, the trajectory was so different, right? And I think what COVID taught us is that you actually can be like quite scrappy with the way you launch something. And it's like equally impactful. Yeah. And it also, I mean, with anyone who makes a physical product, all of the things that have to happen in order for that thing to get made, you know, being a little more flexible and, you know, having to adjust to timelines that are completely out of your control, you know, like supply chain, of course, or things getting stuck in the port of Long Beach. And you're just like, well, I can see where the product is, but I can't physically get it. So we can't launch it. And then like you're saying, figuring out other things to do and being scrappy and like, that's the best. I mean, I think it's, it was such a nice lesson because I don't know if if you feel this way, but I had this idea of how things go when you run a business, and it's it never goes that. like that. No, <laughs> whatever impression you have, like I've just, like learned this along the way. I'm like, well, shit, I can never plan anything anyway. You know what I no. mean? Like I will do my best to make it go a certain way, and then like curveball, it's not like that. <laughs> no, and and it happens a lot, and you also learn so many things while you're doing it, and just the way we had to create product too during that time was not the most effective way to create product, especially with color because we couldn't go shade match anywhere. So, you know, or like mascara, for example, was supposed to be the first thing that launched Mm -hmm. with color. 
And it's like the component, the the brush, the wiper, and the formula all have to work together in order for it to be great. And it had to be great because there are good clean mascaras. But like when I got the production batch and I was on my photo shoot for mascara, I pulled the wand out and it was like so gloppy. And I'm like, have you guys seen this? (laughs) You know, and we had to like basically uh, start over, you know, like find a different wiper, make sure the brush like worked and the formula, all of those things work together. And it took nine months to relaunch it, you know, and I that was like at the time devastating because I'm like, what are we going to do? Oh, my gosh, we don't this not. And, and it, it worked out. Being from Toronto and having lived in walking cities my entire life, I need to get my steps in, which means that I really value having footwear that is both chic and comfortable. OK, like. I care about my outfits, but I also care about getting my steps in. And so I need to have shoes that are cute and comfortable and kind of go with all of my outfits. So I'm really excited to be partnering with Bionic Shoes, which has the best curated styles to get you in the summer mood and on your way wherever the season takes you. So I own a pair of Bionic Shoes. It's called the Anaya Sandals. They are really, really cute. They're brown. They go with literally every outfit that I have, and they are so comfortable. I mean, they really, really mold to your feet. I can walk, honestly, 10,000 plus steps with them. I can walk all day long, and just a big, big fan. So Vionic's exclusive Viomotion technology is what sets them apart. They began by revolutionizing medical orthotics, and today they continue to use that science to engineer shoes that leave you feeling energized and confident all day long. They offer a risk-free 30-day trial so you can wear your shoes, love them, or if you don't, you can return them for a full refund within 30 days if you're not satisfied for any reason. So Vionic has a code for you guys. You can use the code DREAMBIGGER at checkout for free shipping at www.vionicshoes.com. That's the code DREAMBIGGER at checkout for free shipping at www.vionicshoes.com. Enjoy. Hey girl, hey, welcome to Taste of Taylor, my weekly podcast. I'm your host, Taylor Strecker. You might know me from Sirius XM Radio. I mean, I was there for like 12 years after all. But then Howard Stern allegedly got jealous of me, so I had to leave. I was actually able to pull myself up by the bootstraps and start my own podcast, Taste of Taylor, which is now officially with Dear Media. I'm so excited to say that. Ha! So I promise you in this podcast, you're going to either learn about something, you're going to be inspired by someone that's like always coming from a perspective of like humor, then this is the place for you. I hope you enjoy this little snack. What did you do to, I guess, like make the most of that situation and kind of be nimble and change plans? So one thing I did before or right when I was starting make was I kind of told myself like I am going to let go of what I think it should be Mm -hmm. and I will credit Ben to this because in the first six months that we were getting to know each other we developed a friendship and then inherently developed trust Mm -hmm. and I trust Ben with my life and I look to him for so many things and I'm like the team that he has around him has been with him forever they trust him you know, he, he's also brilliant. He's brilliant. And he has proven like success, you know, so he knows what he's doing. Like, and, I think he's like very one of a kind, I have to say. Like, yeah. when I was telling Carrie offline for everyone else for context, I actually met Ben at a dinner before I met you, Carrie. Yeah. And I remember like my husband, who he's my co founder, and the mm-hmm. two of us met him, and we like, we were like, this man is like probably one of the smartest people we've ever spoken to. Like, yeah. what the heck? Yeah. It's nuts. I mean, I, I feel so lucky to just know him and have him as a friend, but also to have him as my business partner because I couldn't do this without him. And I probably wouldn't, honestly. Well, you know, this is, I think you bring up actually something really valuable. And that is that if you are going into business with someone, right? Like, I think it's so important to have someone who you can trust, mm-hmm. whose skills complement yours, who yeah. covers your blind spots, because it's the only way two people or three, whatever it is, can cover a lot of ground. And that's kind of what you want with a startup because yeah. you have to be scrappy, right? right. 
So it's like what you're saying is like very sound. Yeah. I so in the beginning, I was like, I'm just going to let go of what I think what I think this brand should look like Mm -hmm. and, and what it should be like. And Ben helped me a lot because I came from sort of a luxury beauty world. And that is kind of like my aesthetic. And, you know, all make products are under $40. And that was a huge like something that was really important for the both of us. And he really helped me a lot commercialize things, which I would have never done on my own. And, you know, I, I just, anyway, I, in the beginning, I was like, I'm going to let go of how this should look and I'm going to go with the flow and I'm going to say yes. And I'm just going to learn as much as I can. And, you know, that was not easy at all. And it took me a long time, I think, to kind of wrap, to really like embody that and wrap my head around how that actually looks. And you get to a point in your business where you're almost just like too busy and you don't have the choice to be like, to have an, an emotional reaction to something that happens. And now when those things happen, I'm like, great, how are we gonna figure it out? And I try to look at those those things that happen as opportunities to like, maybe it's gonna be different and better than what I thought it was gonna be before. It's gonna like force us to be creative and figure out something, you know, scrappy to get it done because at the end of the day, it has to get out. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, You said that your background was obviously like luxury beauty, which has a very specific kind of aesthetic. Mm -hmm. What, how how do you translate that to a brand like Make and still kind of bring that eye that you have while also appealing to the audience that you're going for? I mean, I think it's, it's a balance of things. Luxury is is so interesting because I think when products get to a certain price point, say like a $300 face cream, in your mind, you're kind of like, oh, it must be the best. And it, you know, it must be effective and do all the things, you know, it better do all the things if you're spending that much on it. And then I think it's hard to then be like, oh, this moisturizer, which, you know, is really similar is $38. I think as a consumer, you know, it's really hard to be like, well, it must not be as as effective because it's so much cheaper. But, you know, there's, of course, economics that go into the cost of a product. And, you know, one thing that I think makes our products so great and high quality is that Ben has built relationships with you know, labs and contract manufacturers that has allowed him, you know, they sort of like give us a little break on the cost of it. But the ingredients are like, you know, as good as some of these other luxury brands. So I think for me, like I'm still, I'm still trying to figure out the balance because I want Make to sit in the worlds of NARS and Charlotte Tilbury, I want it to feel like it's a prestige or a mastige brand. And then the price won't be like, oh, like this is great. It's so chic. It's high performing. It looks cool. It works. And I'm not spending, you know, $80 on a mascara because, you know, ultimately like it's going to run out in, you know, three months. It's going to expire. I also learned that when it comes to like beauty products and skincare products, oftentimes they're like something may be really expensive initially when it comes out. But if it's like a more studied, like more common ingredient, right? Say, for example, like I forget which beauty brand founder I was speaking to, but like something like hyaluronic acid, right? Mm-hmm. Or like like a, a product or like a component that's been around for a really long time. Yeah. The prices essentially go down even just like the cost of goods so it's not necessary that like you're buying a $600 hyaluronic acid and that's like the gold standard versus like the $40 one you know it could be like also just as good you know yeah I still think there's a lot of education around and I, I I'm starting to see this more just around why things cost the thing that why they cost what they cost and also you know for for example, with mascara, there's a Maybelline like Great Lash, you know, the like pink and green yeah. mascara that's one of the best of all time. Mm-hmm. And I think it's maybe like $10. And at the end of the day, I think regardless of price, you want it to work and it has to perform. Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, 
too, when people are trying something for the first time, I'm not going to spend $80 on a mascara that I haven't used before that I, you know, I can't rely on or this or that. So you like need to know that it's going to work regardless of the price point. And I think for me with make and keeping the aesthetic high, like I've learned so much about how to have creative that's commercial and sell product. Like I think that's one of the things I'm one of the things I'm learning or realizing now that I have learned Mm -hmm. is that you can't just have a beautiful photo of makeup on your website and think that people are going to buy product because to me I've been in beauty for so long I know how to buy product online Mm -hmm. I also like want to try everything so I'm not concerned about is it the perfect shade you know I'm like going to guess and if I get close then cool you know if not I'll return it or just buy a different shade but now I'm like okay I have to shoot this in a way that is beautiful that also sells this product to someone who has never heard of it and doesn't know how to use it which you know as a business owner I'm like okay this is great I have all these ideas this and that you know and then my like creative side which you know I don't think is it's becoming more commercial but it's still very refined like I have a very I have like an aesthetic for sure and a way that I create work and what I'm like obsessed with right now is figuring out how those two go together because it is possible. And, you know, with also like the limited team that I have and I do all of the creative for make, which takes a lot of time. So also like trying to figure out the most efficient ways to get beautiful work that looks good on the website that, you know, is uh, cool on Instagram, but also people are like, oh, I want it. Yeah, I 100%. want it. Talk to me about relaunching a brand because it's inherently different from launching a brand from scratch because you still have somewhat of bones in, right? So talk to me about what that process is like. So when we bought the brand, uh, Ben and I sort of spent like a few days like just sitting and talking about all the things that we loved about the original make, those things that made us you know, still think about it almost eight years after it had initially launched. And, you know, again, it being a brand that we both loved and that I knew from the beginning because I lived in New York when it launched. And it was like a very cool New York brand when it launched. And so we sat down and we were like, okay, Make was really innovative at the time. When they launched, they were one of the first like indie D2C brands. They were one of the first with that, this idea of like beauty is what you make it which I think was one of their original taglines and just this concept of a brand that wasn't a Revlon or an Estee Lauder you know they were before Glossier and now that's such a you know uh, integrated concept into our world of beauty there's so many indie brands and new brands launching every day so like that innovative like ahead of its time portion was really interesting to us and then some of the products that they had the formulations like succulent skin that concept like all of those things mattered to us so we wanted to make sure that we brought them in to this sort of 2.0 version and it like we did buy the brand and I think you know we changed a lot of it and we essentially started over because clean uh, make is clean but it wasn't clean back then so in a way like we did inherent you know inherit and like relaunch a brand but we changed everything while trying to keep some of those like original concepts as a part of what we were doing yeah yeah very cool (laughs) and talk to me now like about like the vision that you have for the brand like where do you where do you see it going like what yeah like what is your ideal so um (laughs) I like thought about it so much in my mind, but you know, like articulating it is always different. I, you know, like I said, I think to me, you know, make is a clean brand, which is not something that I personally find uh, as a key portion of our brand pillar. Uh, I think it's kind of the standard now. I also think that clean changes all the time and people's you know, your idea of clean or my idea of clean is different. 
that's the thing. That's what's really interesting because yeah. it's I would stay, stay I would argue that it's still a young category like yeah. because it's not been around for a long time. The definitions are different no matter what store you go to. And mm-hmm. you're right. It is like a very personal thing as well, whereby even if something is clean at Credo or Sephora, it doesn't mean that it's meeting my standards or maybe it is, you know, but right. it's like very different for each person. Yeah. And again, going back to performance and product efficacy, it has to work for someone to continue to buy it with color cosmetics especially and clean color is harder so when i think about like you know where i want make to be versus kind of like maybe what someone's concept of where the brand sits i i want make to be a high performance mastige brand that sits with you know it if we're at a Sephora store, it sits with NARS and Charlotte Tilbury and it's at that level of performance and pigment and, you know, it works. And I think right now, you know, my job or what I'm constantly trying to do is differentiate make from the indie brands that are clean, even though I'm not even sure if a lot of people know that make is clean. Because again, it's not something that I find important in terms of like, or the most important thing in terms of uh, selling product. So, you know, when I think about where I want make to be, like I want it to be at Sephora, I want it to sit with those brands. You know, I would love to launch in in Sephora and have a huge space right away because that's like, ultimately I think, I believe that our products are that high performing that mm-hmm. they deserve to be up there with, you know, the the products that we all, you know, know and love. And I that's what I want to grow the brand into is something where you're like, oh, you know, I I want to create a product that is, you know, as well known as Charlotte Tilbury's Pillow Talk shade. I you, love that. You know, like that is it. my goal. <laughs> yeah, it's it's the best. Yeah, it's iconic. Yeah. Talk to me about being a creative founder and Mm. the necessity of like having others around you who perhaps kind of complement that skill set. Because I see creative like deep. And by the way, I'm a creative founder. okay, And it's really hard for me to understand like the the numbers, for example, like Mm. I really struggle with that. And I'm lucky that my co-founder is very much that's his skill set, you yeah. know? But talk to me about being a creative founder and navigating that because I think sometimes what we see in our mind's eye, it's not necessarily what sells. Uh, yeah, I learned that over and over again. I think, you know, again, going back to being a creative and having to understand, like I remember distinctly at Glossier, I was working with someone who was responsible for like optimizing the site essentially and he wanted to do a b testing and at the time i have like you know in my mind i'm like no 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 we'll tell them you know like we decide and then very quickly i obviously didn't win that argument uh and then i realized once we got like information back from that i'm like oh all right well I wasn't wrong, but now I feel like I understand how to make my work better because what you create and what you make has to sell product. When you're working for a retailer, you know, D to C, like the goal is to sell product. So I think now I want to test everything and I don't want to get too attached or put too much time or put too much money into something that I am not sure is going to be you know, a hero skew. I couldn't agree with you more. (laughs) Now I am, I didn't even know what A-B testing was Mm -hmm. when I started to write. Now I'm the biggest fan, okay? If it's an email flow, if it's the way a new web page is going to look, I'm like, A-B test this shit before we make a decision. (laughs) Because it has to be rooted in data at the end of the day. Like, I think, yes, like you obviously want things to look really beautiful, but it's really interesting what I've learned is that just because me as a creative person, I like the look of something, right? Like whether it's like the way a web page flows or mm-hmm. how many pictures there are in an email doesn't mean that consumers are going to like 
resonate with that or be yeah. that like they don't buy based on like the look of things all the time yeah so it's it's just been it's a really interesting exercise to go through I think as a creative yeah I love getting feedback from things like that from doing testing from having other people share their experience of make or you know even when I'm working with photographers for social media you know, I give them like a lot of leeway because I'm like, I want to see how you're going to do it. Mm-hmm. I, I don't, I have a, I have a vision, but I'm not, I'm not like, oh, it's going to be like this in order to get there because mm-hmm. I think that's pretty narrow minded. Yeah. And I want it to be the best it can be. I want to constantly learn how to do things. Like, I think it takes a lot of letting go of perfection, which is so hard as a creative person yes. because. <laughs> Your whole job is to create how it looks. And then you put it out there. Creatives are emotional people. And I am so attached to my work because I value it so much. And I, you know, used to be this way where I would just labor over something until I thought it was perfect. It was never perfect, never done enough, this and that. And, like, you can't do that when you're on an aggressive product schedule. You have to get it out. And bless digital for this because you can change it. (laughs) It's not, like, cemented in ink. You know, so I'll be like, I just put this up right now and I'll change it later. Whereas before, I think I would have just been like, oh, my God, I can't believe it's not this or that or whatever. It would prevent me from just doing it, which is so is the most important thing is getting it live. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. And I think it's something that has been a concept in the tech world for a really long time that yeah. we've brought into the way that we do things at Array, whereby yeah you put something out and you iterate based on feedback, whether that's like, I remember the first website that we put out, it was such shit. Like my <laughs> husband built it out. It was like a Shopify template. It was yeah. horrific, but we were like, we're, we just need to go to market because yeah. we need to make sure that the product itself has product market fit before we like put in, I don't know, like 10, 20 grand that we don't have into website development. Yeah. And sure enough, like I'm glad we did because we understood that people loved the product. And yeah. then with the money we made, that's how we like did our website. And I don't think anyone remembers how shit our website was today. You know? right. That's <laughs> another great thing about the internet is people forget. Yeah. People you forget know? all the time. Yeah. <laughs> Before we wrap, I actually want to ask you an audience question that I got. And this person asks, if you have any advice for someone who's starting out in their career to land their dream job? Hmm. That's a good question. I think if you're starting out, like, just do everything you can. Like, do do your job. Do it well. uh, Ask a lot of questions, but also offer to do other jobs, too. I think I would also say like stay really open to how things are going to happen because you know I wanted to uh, work at Into the Gloss and ended up there in a way that I would have never been able to conceptualize in my mind without the experience that I had so you know if you have goals and you have dreams like keep those top of mind but I would say remain really open and flexible to like how you get there Mm -hmm. because sometimes if you're like I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that and then that and then that thing and that's all you're focused on sometimes you miss other things that could be happening or you know you could meet someone randomly and if if you're open to it maybe it wasn't a part of your you know your plan but if you're open to it maybe that person's going to completely change like the course of your life and or like Helen from Into the Glass. <laughs> yes. Yes. Or Ben Bennett, you know, like at the time I was honestly too busy to to take on any more freelance and I almost didn't respond to him. And I think about like, what if I hadn't done that? Like, you know, and also when he asked me originally about make to partner with him, I was kind of like, mm, yeah, maybe. And then, you know, hours later, I was like, it's obviously a yes. Like, <laughs> what am I thinking? You know, because in my mind, that's not... At the time, I I honestly didn't even know if I wanted to be in beauty, but I, I didn't know what was next, and I hadn't thought about this idea. So I, I was like, well, I don't know, because I hadn't thought about it. But then I was just like, yeah, y- yes, all caps, yes. Like, you know, 
So it's like, don't get so attached to how you get there. Yeah. Just all caps, yes, to whatever caps, yes. ops come our way. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> and I think also, you know, I would say this to anybody who's starting to go out and have a job and this and that is like, be kind to people. And yes. I think, you know, when I was young, I wanted to assert authority and feel like I was powerful, but I didn't have... I was also deeply insecure, so I was, like, I was mean. And I thought the way to, the first time I was a manager was a nightmare, and I changed quickly because I was like, wait, this is not effective. And also, like, why am I being so mean? Like, just be kind to the people that you work with and know that authority and power does not come from being mean and treating people like shit. I love that. That's actually such a sound and great piece of advice. You want people to love working for you. Yeah. And there's just no, there's no reason for it. You know, like so many people have so many different things going on. And, uh, you know, I was also not very happy at the time. So, of course, that was projected. But I just think it's unnecessary to be rude and not respect the people that you work with and also just do the work and work as hard as you can. I agree. Really, really good advice. Carrie, this has been a joy. Tell everyone where they can find you. So what's my Instagram? It's Carrie underscore Barber. And then make is make beauty official. I think they're the same on TikTok. Amazing. I'd have to check. And then (laughs) website? Uh, Makebeauty.com. Amazing. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening. If you loved the episode and feel like it brought you value, don't forget to rate the show and leave a review. It takes five seconds and really helps the show grow so I can keep bringing on awesome guests. If you want to follow me behind the scenes, you can find me on Instagram at Sif And don't forget to hit subscribe so you don't miss a thing. I drop new episodes every Tuesday, so come hang with me and shoot the shit with some really smart people, learn and unlearn, and have a lot of fun. See you next week. note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.